Welcome to the Bullish Drive Podcast, where we explore the realms of faith, mental performance, and personal testimonies through conversations with high-level performers. Join us as we extract valuable insights from their experiences to supercharge your pursuit of peak performance. This is a Bullish Drive Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Bullish Drive Podcast. And if you're new to the show, I welcome you. Thank you for joining us. Here on the show, we talk to musicians and athletes and trainers, just high performers, and ask them questions. Ask them how they got to where they were, what did they use for mental skills, their testimonies, their journeys, barriers they ran into, things that were unexpected, mainly to pass wisdom, to give you guys just some skills you can implement today to reach the next level faster, sooner, and just share the wealth of knowledge that is out there. And when I work with young athletes, a question that the parents often ask me is what can we do to support our children's journey? What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the barriers? What are some of the things that they will run into that can keep them from reaching that next level? And really, you know, in the Bible, it says train up a child in the way that they should go. And any of these conversations, oftentimes we consider them to be too advanced too high level to start talking with their kids about the mental skills side of the sports game. And at the end of the day, don't look at it as a high level conversation, but as planting seeds. And this is something that our guest today really talks about. We want to be planting seeds in our young athletes, something that will grow as they grow with their sports and eventually step onto a stage where all these different things that we have talked to them about culminates and they'll understand it. And so today I'm really excited to have a fellow mental performance coach on the show. And she has worked with the United States women's national soccer team, and then worked with the New York Yankees, and then worked with multiple organizations and professional athletes with their own company. And she just brings a wealth of knowledge. And I'm super blessed, super uh, excited to have her here to just share a bunch of different mental uh, performance skills whether you are a professional athlete or someone that's just starting out these are skills that you can implement right away and so with that i want to welcome lauren johnson to the bullish drive podcast welcome to the show and thank you for joining us oh thanks so much james i'm really excited to be here yeah 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 and uh you know could we start off just kind of uh giving a little intro about what you do um how you kind of got into this field and what what makes you passionate about mental performance oof uh well let's start with let's start with that last one with like what makes me passionate somebody asked me this the other day and um i think i know i mean i think the reason i'm passionate is because i know it pisses me off Mm. and what pisses me off is seeing people get in their own way Mm. yeah that's good um you know a lot of the work that i do is not necessarily like yes i teach mental skills but I'm not really teaching, you know, I'm not teaching pitchers how to pitch, you know, I'm not teaching CEOs how to, you know, CEO, you know, I'm not teaching these like skills that are exactly um, specific to the role that they're in, but I am teaching them how to get it out of their own way by teaching Mm. them how their mind works optimally and ways that we can not only choose our perspectives, um, choose our actions or even position our, um, position how we cope in ways to be able to show up regardless of what's in front of us. Mm. Um, and 
you know, in, in terms of mental performance, I think it's it's best explained what I do and what I don't do. Um, I'm not a clinical therapist or a clinical psychologist. Um, you know, in that role, they diagnose and treat clinical disorders um, like depression, you know, bipolar, like, uh, you know, all of those. And it's so, so important, um, but that's not what I do. Um, if any of my clients do lean in that direction and I start to notice that, you know, I reach out to my, to people that do that and it, they are amazing. However, what I do is I help people on the performance side. So how do we maximize your psychology for performance? And oftentimes you're, you don't have to begin at a deficit. Um, Trevor Moad said this, he said, you don't have to be sick to get better. So I'm working with people that are in having the best year of their life, um, the worst year of their life performance wise and somewhere in between. Um, it, it's not only for people that need to be, you know, I'm putting this in quotations, but like fixed per se. Right. Man, that's good. And, and you said, you know, people that are in the best years of their life are the worst people. Now, are we talking about, you know, those those super famous athletes, those super famous musicians? Is, is that who you work with or is this applicable to everybody from U10 and up? Oh, it, it's applicable to everybody. I mean, yes, I work with some of the best athletes in the world, but it it's applicable no matter who you are. If you're human, it applies to you because we're talking about it. This isn't the psychology of high performers mm -hmm. specifically. This is the psychology of performance and all of us perform in our lives in different ways, whether it's performing in sport, whether it's performing at, at you know, at home with our duties at home, whether it's relationships, um, this applies regardless. That's so good. That's so good. And, and you know, I, I checked out your website. I think it's really, really cool. I like the way it looks. And I, I love the phrase you have on it, you know, elite by choice, not by chance, you know, and um, you, you spoke a little bit about, you know, just breaking out of, you know, where people are at. Can you talk about that? Like, where, what is that? What, what do you mean when you say breaking out where people are at or just what they've structured around themselves? Yeah, um, I, I think that we all have um, default settings mm -hmm. and there's these like uh, these automations in our brain that um take place and so for instance um i remember when i was younger like if somebody you know if, if somebody walked by and you know it's it seemed like they gave me like a weird look or you know they ignored me or whatever i might look at that and be like oh my gosh that person doesn't like me you know that's like a default right that's like mm -hmm. a default response or uh, interpretation of a situation and so it, the question becomes, can we upgrade our defaults? And yes. And now when I look at if something like that happens, I assume positive intent, you know, maybe there's something going on in their life. Like maybe it's, and I, none of my interpretations are hundred percent correct unless I were to ask that person. Mm. But the question is, which one is most productive? Mm. And I know that thinking it's somebody, it doesn't like me when I really don't know the answer to it. doesn't actually put me in a better position. It actually makes me worry it might cause me stress or anxiety. Whereas assuming positive intent, like, oh man, I wonder if that person's having a bad day. It creates empathy. So it actually creates, it's pro it's more productive. So that's a very like a minimal example, but just an example of how we have these default settings. Maybe it's our response to stress. Maybe it's our response to failure. Maybe it's our, um, maybe it's our response to success. Like the fear mm -hmm. that is associated that comes with success. And then the question becomes like, how can we upgrade our choices and therefore upgrade our performance. And I think that when you make the same choice again and again and again, that's when you start to develop patterns. And so the defaults that we have are typically because 
we have done something so many times that it's become a pattern in our mind. So it becomes automatic without really thinking. Um, but just because it's automatic doesn't mean we can't rewire to uh, make it even better and more productive for ourselves. That's good. That's good. And and there's a lot of fear behind doing something new, right? Like, like you said, fear of success. Like some people will avoid having success because they, they fear it. They don't know what it's going to be like. They don't know if they can handle it or manage it. Right. Um, and something that I see when I work uh, with a couple of my professional athletes is, you know, they weren't ready for everything that comes with professional sports. You know, I think there's an assumption that when you become professional, you just get to play the sport all, th- all day long. Right. Um, do you can you speak on some of that? Like, what are some of the other things that come in with those professional athletes that people normally don't talk about? Um, I it, it's funny. I I get this question asked a lot. Like, what do you what do you work on with them? Like, they have mm. nothing to work on. Like, right. people almost think that because they've made it to where they are, that there's like they're they're complete, right? Mm. And there's no room for improvement. And um, I, I think that the best are the best because they're the best at getting better. Mm, the journey never ends, right? The journey's never over. Um, it's a constant evolution. And I, I like to use this example. I found there was this uh, video I saw online and it was a contrast between one of the very first Formula One pit stops and today's. Oh yeah, I've seen and that. The first one is like comical, right? It takes like, <laughs> right. you know, it's like, it takes like 10 minutes like to like do this or like maybe not that much, but maybe like five <laughs> minutes to actually like change the tires on this car. And today it's like the fastest time. I think it's like 1.88 or something like that. I think Max Verstappen holds that title. And the question I always ask is, was the first example, in the first example, were they giving, were they giving their best? Mm. And the answer is yes, mm-hmm. for many reasons, right? Maybe, I mean, yes, they were giving their best. They certainly weren't trying their worst, you know, or, but with the knowledge they had, with the current standard that was set in the industry, with the technology that they had available to them. And so, yes, they were giving their best, but if they stopped there, because that was the best at the time, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even, they would be, people would laugh at them if they thought they had a chance today. Mm-hmm. And what that shows is that change and improvement is an evolutionary process, not a revolutionary yep. event. And so, if you reach the top of whatever that is for you and then you just stop, you may not see the impact of that immediately, but eventually you will. And it'll now you're going to wish that you had started way back then. And so I think professional athletes know that they know that it's a constant evolution. And so when people ask me, like, what do you work with them on? Probably the number one thing that I work with them on a lot is being able to manage confidence or lack thereof. Um, yeah. Because like in a human in situations in athletics, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. Mm-hmm. You're going to have days where you do everything right and don't get the result to match it. You're going to have days where you do everything wrong and somehow you pulled it out. Like there's going to be those days and being able to manage the ups and downs that comes with that, it ultimately does impact our confidence and our view of ourselves. So how do you show up when you got it? That's pretty easy, right? Everybody plays better when they're confident. Right. But the question becomes, can you show up and provide the same degree of performance, even when that doesn't exist. And that's what a lot of times I work with them on. And I see the same things at the lower levels as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think what what tends to happen when athletes start having those rough times is there's, there's narratives, right? At first, when you're young, you got those internal narratives, like that imposter syndrome, like, oh, maybe I really shouldn't be doing the sport. Like, maybe I'm really not that good. Maybe I can't, and then it gets into, 
at the professional levels, now you got, you know, media, you got sports center, you got all these other people speaking these narratives onto you. Um, where, how, what can we do then with our young athletes to start building positive narratives, um, uh, when they're, when they're in these sports so that that can build and grow and, and evolve, like you said. Right. There's, there's a couple things, but there's one that I think translates from no matter what position you're in, whether you are, you know, Aaron Judge or whether you are starting T-ball for the first time. And um, I think it's redefining su success to be within our control. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the times we fall into this trap called resulting, which is when we identify our, when we essentially state that our decisions were the quality of our decisions are equal to the quality of our results. Meaning if I did, if I got a goal, oh, I did so good today. Mm -hmm. uh, or if I lost, oh, I'm crap. This is terrible. I must've done everything wrong. When really the quality of your decisions and the quality of the outcomes, while a lot of times we're hoping those things match, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know. You know, it's, it's true that you can go in and you can play your best and not get the result you want. Um, it's also true that you can go in and play your worst and still get a good result. Yeah. And so the point is that results alone won't make you better. Executing mm -hmm. the right things will. And so when we can identify how we did based on the things within our control, we create a lot more consistency in terms of not only our evaluation, but also our performance. And so one of the ways I've done this with athletes before is like, hey, what is the goal? And for instance, I had a hitter and he's like, the goal is to get a hit. I'm like, great. Mm -hmm. So that, if that couldn't be the, if that couldn't be your definition of success, but it was everything that led up to that thing, what would that look like for you? What would those one, two mm -hmm. or three things be? And for him, he was like, number one, he goes, when I'm on time, I'm dangerous. I'm like, great. So being on time. Awesome. He said, number two, um, when I am not chasing out of the zone. So meaning I have really good plate discipline. And then number three was having an external focus. So not focusing on what my hands are doing, what my mm. arms and like, but focusing on where I want to hit the ball. So I said, great. So if you do those three things at the plate, regardless of the result, you did your job. And when we can think in that way, it, positions us both from a mental perspective and a physical perspective to perform at our best in the moment. Because while results are important, sometimes focusing intensely on them is not the best way to get them. Mm. Yeah. And that that's so hard with uh, professional, even getting into like high school sports now when stats are such a big thing, like how often do uh, athletes get lost in statistics these days? Right. Oh, it, it happens at the at the big league level. Like it's mm. it, it's huge. Now, granted, there's a lot of value to them. So I'm not saying that they're not important, but I think timing of when you're hyper focusing on those things, um, and then picking apart like what parts are in my control and out of my control because mm. there are you could hit like you could have great plate discipline, right? You could be on time. You can do everything right and have a solid hit and just an outfielder has an incredible play. Right. And that then goes into your stats. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not mindful of, I recognize that stat isn't fully dependent on my actions, mm. 
that there are parts of that that are out of my control and they're going to be impacted whether I do the right thing or not. I think that's a really important perspective to be able to take and to be able to to know the difference between those two things. It doesn't mean that, oh, well, that's, that's their, like, it's, it's all outside of me. That's not true. Mm-hmm. You still have a responsibility within it. But I think knowing the difference between those and then knowing what part of that can I take for myself, that's amazing to use it. But you're right. When we're hyper-focusing on results, that's not the best way to get them. Right. Right. hundred percent. And that's, that kind of goes into that uh, psych term, you know, internal, external locus of control. Like where, where do we control our life? Right. And a lot of people get caught in that external. Like there's so many of these external factors. Why my life is tough. Why, you know, I can't overcome this hump. But like you said, just being able to recognize what is in our control and actually taking control of it. Right. Choosing to be elite. <laughs> I love that. It's funny though, when you said that just sparked this thought that I've said this before and I truly believe it, that we always have a choice, but mm. sometimes that can be forgotten. Mm. So we, for, we forget that we have a choice. Like you, you don't have a choice whether or not you can play, you know, whether or not you get playing time, but you do have a choice how you use that time in the sidelines. Right, right. And I was just thinking, I was talking to um, somebody the other day that I was talking about just being on the bench, right? Like, like being on the bench, it, it, it sucks. It hurts. Right. Because I mean, well, I mean, it hurts your butt because you're sitting on the bench the whole time, but also you have to explain to like your, your friends and your family that may have come out to see you why you're on the bench, right? It's an awkward place, but there's always going to be somebody in the stands that wishes they were on the bench, right? Somebody there that's going to want that. And so taking that opportunity to get better and practice and you know, what are you doing in the off time? So when your name does get called, you're ready, you're ready to go, you know? So I love, I love that idea of choice, everything like that. And if we go back to statistics, I know that it starts playing into this kind of identity in young athletes, right? They start mm-hmm. identifying with this outcome and um, how, how dangerous can that be? Like, what can that do? Um, I know you touched on it a little bit, but especially for young athletes, as far as the reason why they play a sport and how that develops as they get older. Well, I find that I find that what happens is we start to a we start to equate our worth to our outcomes. Yeah. And I speak to this from a personal perspective because that's what I did. Mm. Um, it's also partially why I'm so passionate about this because honestly I was the athlete that needed it. Mm. And I remember like when I was performing well, I mean I was like on cloud nine. I felt like unstoppable. And when I was performing poorly, I felt worthless Hmm. and what ended up happening. And I call it, I call it temporary worth Hmm. that when you, when your worth is dependent on your results, it will always be temporary. That's good. And what I recognized was the impact it had on how I felt, on how I showed up, on how I viewed myself, also equally how I viewed my teammates. Because have any of you been in that position where you're like, I don't want them to do well because I want to be in there. Mm, like, yeah. I have, and I, I can almost guarantee almost every athlete I've been with or I've worked with has had that sort of feeling at some sort of time and they don't like it. They don't want to be that way. Mm-hmm. But when your worth is dependent on it, you will do anything you can to get it. Mm. And it's a sad place to be in because when you get it, it's never enough. 
Right. Right. And so it's a constant battle. And so when I started to learn how I associated my identity, how, how wrong it was to associate it with that, I actually realized that I actually played so much, so much poor, like more poor mm-hmm. when I looked at it from that perspective. So I do think from an identity perspective, um, again, redefining success is a big one, but also recognizing what about you doesn't change as a result of the result. Mm, yeah. Um, I, I recognize that who I am as a person doesn't change. Like my drive doesn't change. Um, what I care about doesn't change. Being a good teammate shouldn't change, Right. but I was allowing it to change. And so there were things that I recognized that I could control as constants even when those things outside of me were changing. And when I recognized that and I realized that's what I wanted to identify with, Mm. I wanted to identify those things that were going to be existent, whether soccer is in my life or not. Yeah. It became bigger than me and therefore so much more sustainable. And honestly, like it made me, my identity a lot more health, like a much more healthy and sustainable one. Um, And I think that when we, when we do connect with our results so deeply, um, that's where burnout happens, yeah. especially uh, especially in in t- you know teenagers and young adults. Yeah, no, that that's so good, and that kind of goes back to to that fear thing. Like, um, who was it? Uh, Carol Dweck, the professor for growth, right? She she did that whole experiment with like uh, kids and you know performance or process versus the outcome and. The kids that were hyper focused on the outcome actually feared trying harder things, right? And I, I, and then we talked about when we first started this conversation is just fearing success, right? Yeah. Fearing what that comes out, you know. Um, man, that's that's so good. I had another thought and I just lost it because I distract myself with these yeah. random ideas. You know what? When you're having a good conversation, I can understand that. It's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's funny. I I actually um, I worked with this golfer is professional golfer and she was phenomenal and and uh the first two rounds of every tournament she would just go out and crush it like mm-hmm. absolutely crush like finish in like the top three top five always in contention and then the third round would come along and everything would it, it just would change it would shift entirely and mm-hmm. she would find herself finishing every tournament like either outside of the top 10 or like right in the middle oh. and it was it was concerning to me because I started to see this pattern. Mm-hmm. Like she would absolutely crush it. And then she would go to this, like uh, this different phase. And I, I looked at it and I was like, oh, I haven't seen that. There's a mindset shift that's changing. Mm-hmm. The first ha- the first two rounds, she was playing to win. And like, when we're playing to win, we understand that mistakes are a part of the process. Mm-hmm. We're willing to take on challenge and risk. We become proactive and the flip side, what was happening is then when she had success, she's shifted to playing not to lose oh and she she went into protection mode Mm -hmm. like she didn't want to lose what she had just worked so hard for so when we're playing not to lose we are afraid to make a mistake we play hesitant we play reactive and you'll just notice like your whole body language and everything shifts and so when that shift was occurring she was actually putting herself in a worse position because she went to protection mode. And the interesting thing about both of those mindsets is they both want to win. Yeah. One performs from a place of power and the other from a place of fear. And so when you said fear, I'm like, that's, yes, that's exactly like, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Is that 
we're going from for people that do fear success it's like oh once i have it oh my gosh it's fleeting like the the study with carol dweck like mm-hmm. here's the outcome i want oh and i don't want to lose it so i'm afraid right. to go above and beyond because what if it's gone right and so it's it's shifting between those two mindsets and both mindsets are possible but it's almost like which one are you going to lean into more and there's you know there's a lot of tools and stuff behind that to to help you stay in one versus the other but that's what that's where my mind kind of went yeah no that that's exactly it and i was actually going to ask you if you could share a tool or two um because i think a lot of my younger athletes when i'm working with them that is the fear right and that kind of goes into like comparison a little bit maybe we we can touch on that a little bit later but um what i often tell them is uh is just pushing more in right it's it's the example of um the the plane that goes in a flat spin right if you pull back on the stick you're gonna go farther into the flat spin but if you push in you're actually gonna level out the plane you know, and in the same way, when we're in fear, we can well pull back, you know, get hesitant. But really, the answer to it is to get back in there and be aggressive. Right. Which is yeah. so right. It's so much easier said than done because you're like, yeah, I know yeah. that. But my, everything that my body is signaling to me right now tells me the opposite. Right. Um, yeah. So there's this one. There's one thing that I find to be really important when it comes to confidence. Um, it's a, a parable I heard, and it's that a I, this is the way I look at confidence is that a bird lands on a branch, not because of its confidence in the branch, but in its confidence and its ability to fly. It's mm, good. And so when I think of confidence, I think of not necessarily your ability to know what to do, mm-hmm. but how to handle a situation if it doesn't go the way that you want. And so um, I think as you increase competence around things that could go wrong, you'll increase your confidence and your ability to manage it if it does. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean it takes away the fear, but it allows you to look at it and go, I can do that. I can right. manage that. And so it helps you to stay in that play to win phase a little bit a little, a little bit better. And so the kind of two steps that I do is like, okay, if this is your plan. Um, I want you to contrast it with everything that can go wrong. And mm-hmm. so it starts with mental, simple mental contrasting. So having them like devise a plan, like what do they want to have happen? And then contrast it with what is like poke holes in your plan. Like what's the worst thing that can happen? What things outside of your control might happen? And just make a list. Don't solve them. Just make a list. Right. And then the second half would be creating contingency plans. Say, And then taking one by one and go, okay, if that happens, then... What am I going to do about it? Like, what is the behavior that you wish to follow? And a couple of things will happen there. Is number one, you're going to develop your competence around being able, around handling adversity if and when it happens. So your brain is like primed and ready if that happens versus the shock factor when it first happens. And like, oh, and then we go into panic mode. So number one, you're priming your brain to go, this may not go exactly the way I want it to. And that's okay, because I have a plan. Hmm. Number two, the other thing your brain's gonna love is you are actually creating a connection in your brain between a situation that might happen and the behavior that you wish to follow. And so in that moment, your brain doesn't necessarily have to like think of a plan because you've already primed it with all these solutions. So now it's only job is to execute. So I, I find that to be really, really helpful because one, you're putting in the mental reps mm-hmm. in terms of being able to problem solve, right. yeah. being able to get comfortable with the thought that this may not go well, and I'm prepared and ready to handle it if it does. Um, and then it also, again, it develops that competence. And you know, if, if the branch breaks, the question isn't, did I pick the right branch? The question is, do you know how to fly? And I think this kind of exercise helps you to do that. That's so good. So everyone who's listening, like 
take that to the bank that was so good it was like it's like when michael jordan was asked um like does michael jordan have any weaknesses and he was like yeah i have weaknesses but i dig deep and i figure out how to solve them you know that's that's it everybody has weaknesses but just like you said do you have confidence in your own skills or in external factors so man man i love that um and and I mentioned a little bit about comparison and we'll see if we got time to talk about, but like, I know that a lot of kids will compare themselves to uh, their role models or compare themselves to their, their teammates and how to do it. You spoke a little bit on it when it came to success and holding on to success and letting other people be successful around you. Um, what, what do you do with comparison when it's such a strong part of somebody's uh, mental game that they're playing in right now? Oh, comparison. I mean, I even struggle with comparison still. Like, I think we all do, right? It's a, it's a very human element. Um, but there are a couple of things that I think of. And the first thing is comparison could be very valuable. It can be valuable in terms of like, maybe you're comparing you to somebody that you want to be similar to like, okay, that's great to recognize that gap and then go, okay, what do I got to do to get there? Um, but I think that there's a very fine line between something that becomes very productive and then when it becomes unproductive. Um, and I think that the first thing is recognizing that boundary. And mm -hmm. so a lot of questions I ask is, okay, where do you, where's comparison beneficial for you? And for some people, there's a lot of benefit. For some, the benefit is so minimal. It's almost like this is ridiculous, you know, like right. this is not helpful at all. Mm -hmm. um, but I think every person's boundary line is going to be slightly different. So I think to first, instead of having a blanket, like don't compare yourself. Like, I think that it's important to like figure out, like, is there benefit to it? Because I think that for me, like comparing some of like the things that I put out to somebody that is as like a much bigger budget than me, there are benefits to it. But then to say like, oh, well, why aren't mine better? Well, because I'm not putting the same budget behind it. That's why. So right. I, I, there, there's that boundary, right? So I think first it's recognizing where it's beneficial because I think the best leaders, they care about how they impact their teammates and others. That's good. So I think that's a good thing to know. Hmm. Number two <laughs> is where I like to go to, I like to use the idea of sources. Hmm. A lot of times we'll compare because we're searching for some sort of confirmation that we're enough. Mm, yeah. And I will never forget, I was working with this VP of a very, very big company. And she came to me and she said, Lauren, I have no confidence. I was like wow. in shock. Like, yeah. That company we all use like almost on a daily basis. And, um, and she was, she was just like, I have absolutely no confidence. And what we learned is that a lot of her lack of confidence was actually coming from comparison. And it wasn't necessarily comparing to performance. It was comparing to feedback. So-and-so mm. is getting a lot more positive feedback than I am. Wow. So it was, it was very, very interesting. So anyway, the reason I, I asked this is because a lot of times we're searching for, for worth. We're searching for something because there's a lack. Mm -hmm. And so somebody not doing as well makes us feel better. And alternatively, somebody doing really great makes us feel 10 times worse. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I like to talk about is sources. So I always think of like a lake. What are your, what are the a lake's sources of water? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there could be snow melt. It could be, right. you know, rain, you know, it could be various things. And so about like, like confidence or like a lake, 
looking, thinking of confidence, like what are your sources of confidence? Mm-hmm. And if your sources of confidence out outside of you outweigh the sources within you, that's where we have an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when it comes to comparison, I would ask, what are you getting out of it? Are you, is there positive points to it? What are the negatives? And if it's not beneficial to you, how do we pivot your sources to become something that is within you and doesn't isn't reliant on things outside of you? Because again, mm-hmm. if that is reliant on things outside of you, you will always be a victim of it. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, that's, that's one of the directions I often go in because I also, I also think, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, <laughs> is that don't compare your day one to someone else's day 500. Oh yeah, 100% because you get the experience of 500 days by starting with one. Mm. And so before you consider a comparison, I think you should consider the difference. That's good. Man, this is all so good. <laughs> I appreciate you. Is there any any last things uh, that you wanna mention before we close out today? No, I just, I, I can't thank you enough for having me. I think that when it comes to mental performance, whether you are young, a young adult or, or even a child, mm-hmm. um, I think that introducing some of these topics, um, I, I always like to, people are like, well, they're not going to listen. I'm like, well, I want you to think of it as a seed. If you plant the seed, you have no idea when that seed is going to be watered. Mm-hmm. You have no idea when that seed is going to grow. But if you don't plant a seed, we don't have a chance of a flower blooming. And so I always say that I, I, I like to plant seeds. I have no expectation that it's going to quote unquote work, but that by having those conversations, they don't become mm-hmm. so foreign the older we mm-hmm. get. That's so good. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And now, um, if someone wants to reach you, you know, and your company, you have Lauren Johnson and co, um, where can they reach out to you? Uh, the best way is to go to my website. They have all my social media channels on there. I'm on a lot of social media, so you can connect with me too. Um, but you can find all that on my website, which is laurenjohnsonandco.com. And that's all spelled out A-N-D-C-O.com. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate your time. And uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Thanks for having me. Once again, thank you so much, Lauren, for joining us today on the Bullish Drive podcast. And if you're an athlete or musician that's looking for your own mental performance coach, you can check us out at www.bullishdrive.com. Sign up for a free consultation. I'd love to hear just what your goals are, what your vision is, and how we can partner to help you reach the next level. Once again, it starts with you and your destiny is waiting. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Peace.